Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Hello, friends, and welcome to the 12th episode of Cocktails and Conversations. If you're still listening to this, thank you ever so much. I don't take it for granted. I very much appreciate it. I have found so much like joy in doing this. I just, yeah, it just keeps me going to know that I get to share stories of, of incredible people in this city. But before we dive into what might be one of my absolute favorite episodes thus far is the cocktail for today. So today's cocktail is a throwback to obviously one of my favorites, which is drum roll, a whiskey sour. And, um, my guest today is, um, a dearest friend and we'll get into that, but he does not like things that are very sweet. Um, so I was like, well, this is whiskey so I can take out the sweetness and make it something hopefully that he will enjoy and that I will always enjoy, but I would have put a little bit more sweetness into it personally. But um, the whiskey sour that I made today was kind of like a cucumber grapefruit-ish type thing, but it was made with um, some Glenlivet, which um, some generous friends of mine gave me recently, a 15-year scotch, which is definitely a little bit bolder and not as sweet as a bourbon. Um so I think I did an ounce and a half, but it kind of like depends on how boozy you want it. So an ounce and a half to two ounces, how much you like, or how many drinks you're making for the night or how, how intense you want it. Um, so an ounce and a half to two ounces of either, um, Glenn Livet or another Scotch so as you may know or may whiskey, not know at all, cocktails are kind of my thing at the end of a long day or um, any day. From really, there, it's, it's, drink, I mean, it's, it's the, the standard device, is the really one ounce of lemon and lime juice. Tito's Yeah, so either it can be mixed or it can be both, whatever you want. And then I did muddled cucumber, which is cucumber, just like a favorite, very fresh ingredient in any drink. Also the gin, cucumber gin together. And then I did a couple dashes of grapefruit bitters, which kind of also helps with like balancing the sweet 
sweet and in the sour, but there's not a whole lot of sweet in this. So there's no simple syrup. It's really just uh, whiskey, lemon and lime juice, grapefruit bitters. And then, of course, we did the egg white. So we just shook all of that up and put it into a drink. And it's pretty strong, and it's definitely not very sweet. So if that is your drink, then this is your drink. And I very much enjoy drinking it and hope that you will too. But what is, I'm going to say even better than that drink was my guest today, which is, um, Stefan Montessorine, who I am like very, very excited to have been nerding out with because I had been waiting for this podcast for a long time. And, um, he's just actually one of my really dearest friends that I um, see very frequently, but, um, we got to really, really nerd out on the Enneagram, which is something that as you have, may have noticed is something that I just, I could talk about it till tomorrow. And I, I, I know somewhat about it and I read, I read as much as I can about it. And I just want to always know more and more about it. But he, to me, is one of the experts, I think, in this city on the Enneagram and just like how um, ingratiating that in your life will hopefully make us and me a better, more self-aware person. And so he is a mental health therapist, counselor um, here in Orlando. He works at Solace, which is a um, a really important um office downtown. It's on Summerlin. It's like right across from that Starbucks there. Um, he works with our friends, Aaron and Michelle Moore, who started the practice and just the importance of obviously mental health and bringing people into like the fullest realization of themselves, which is something that is just such a beautiful thing and kind of like unsung heroes within our city. So maybe not somebody as, you know, forward-facing or out there, but I think really has an incredible story to share. And I think we connect so much more with people in their in their pain than we do maybe in the happy times or the, or the joyous times, like the friends that have been been there with me and stuck stuck there with me through the pain and, and not as afraid to sit in the dark with me is the people that I feel like are the strongest connections to me and I value very highly. So my friend who's on today has just been a friend who has been a very consistent, um, uh, voice of truth within my life and just somebody that I, I know will, will, not be scared of like who I am. So as being an eight, that can sometimes be, I guess for some people intimidating, but I appreciate people that have, have the voice and know when, when and how to speak into your life. So I love talking about the Enneagram with Stefan. And I think that his story will be, it's, it's really hard. Life is hard. And I think that, it's important to to share and to see how people have come from maybe places that weren't exactly ideal and the beauty that they have transformed that into with their lives and how they've helped other people to walk through and to realize that it's okay that we all have pain and that we can still live the best that we can with what we have been given 
and where we've been placed in the universe and in the family of origin that we've been given. So I am like really excited for today's episode. I, I know that you will absolutely enjoy it. So enjoy this podcast with uh, Stefan and listen to me nerd about the Enneagram. Enjoy. Stefan, welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Salud. Salud. Oh, that's pretty strong. That's tasty. Yeah, great. Thank you for joining uh, me quite selfishly for one of my favorite cocktails, which is a whiskey sour. So today I made it with some uh, 15-year Glenlivet and some lime juice, cucumbers, muddled, and egg white, and some grapefruit bitters. So as you like it, not very sweet. How, well done. How did it, how are we doing here? No, it it yeah. satisfied me. It satisfied you? <laughs> Good. Okay. It's pretty, pretty tasty and strong, so we'll see how this podcast does here in a little bit. So be real good. So, um, for me, obviously cocktails is one of my absolute favorite things for you. What is your go-to drink? Like if you were like to either make something at home at the end of the day or go out, what is like an easy standard cocktail? I think it changes cause your taste changes over time. Okay. This summer it's probably been uh, Campari and soda. Okay. Super, super summery. Super simple. Super simple. A little bitter, a little right. bright. Great aperitif. Very true. If you were drinking a cocktail, what would be your, what would be like a, what's one of your absolute favorite oh, drinks? Probably a mezcal Negroni. It's mm. like, it's dark, it's bitter, it's smoky. Just like me. Just like you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. No we're fun tracking. at all. Nope. It hurts Just a little bit. I don't understand that pleasure of drinking that. <laughs> it's kind of mean. It's kind of mean. Mm -hmm. So, uh, great. Well, I'm glad that really yeah. brings you a lot of joy That's right. and pleasure. <laughs> Being a curmudgeon. <laughs> drinking a curmudgeon's it's, drink. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, if you were to go around town, what would be like three of your top favorite places to grab a drink in Orlando? Well, guest house would probably be number one because of proximity and consistency. It's right, it's like right there behind my house. So you live neighborhood almost staple. in their premise, yeah. on their premise. We are very close neighbors. That could not be more true. Yeah. And uh, I would say Little Indies and mm. um, Will's is probably number two. Mm. And for a nice cocktail, like just downtown, I think Hanson's and Courtesy still are, are the, the standbys. Yeah. Do you have any favorites at those places when you go? <clears throat> any favorites at Courtesy or Hanson's? Yeah, like on the menu. I don't really get many cocktails. I like cocktails. Okay. But cocktails have so much sugar in them. Okay. And I'm not a sweet, sweet lover. No. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Or a person. So. so. Give me a shot of mezcal that Whoa. I can sip on by itself. <laughs> We are very opposite on so many things. <laughs> so many. Most so of the many. things in life. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm so glad that that is what you enjoy. Yeah. And that you yeah. will never receive from me. So that's great. So I have known you for quite a long time and would uh, include you in, in one of my dearest friends over the years. Uh, so I met you, I believe, 
when I walked into Credo College Park in 2011, mm-hmm. when you were opening Credo, when the first one opened. Correct. Correct. That is a correct story you've just told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 2011, so eight years? Yeah. We're coming up on a, on a decade? Dang. Yeah. So, cheers to that. I will celebrate that. That good, is a long good time. Good friends over a long period long of time. Long time friend. Yeah. With lots of learnings along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Change is inevitable. A lot of, yeah, a lot of changes and life comes. Um, so you helped to start the first credo. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I've known um, Ben Hoyer, who started Downtown Credo, the yes. nonprofit, for coming up on 27 years now. Okay. So we went to high school together and then ended up at UF together. And um, over many adventures and misadventures, he ended up back in Orlando. And I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came down. My family's still here. And he invited me to be a part and to help him kind of open the coffee yeah. part of the organization, which was to be the storefront. And I was pretty excited to do that with him. So you have a knowledge of coffee? So I, I, I liked coffee. I don't know that I was an expert by any means, but I enjoyed coffee and I liked design. And that was kind of... The collaboration hmm. it was the coffee and design part. Mm-hmm. So we opened the shop. It was to, it was the storefront for the nonprofit. So we were offering essentially free coffee by donation, and it allowed people to engage with a life of meaning and impact and community mm-hmm. through paying the coffee growers better than fair trade. So we were offering them. And how did you initially a sustainable wage essentially with the growers that you have? that you've had made connections like where did you just like dial up Nicaragua and be like hey anybody like what was the connection with hey we'd love to invite you into this story and be able to engage you and pay you yeah this amount I think that came out of some of the questions that underlie that nonprofit. like how do I how do I create a life of meaning how can I where can I be more impactful Mm -hmm. and that generally starts in relationship as you build relationship you find out where the needs are and then you're better able to meet them and so Ben knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Uh-huh. And that connected us to uh, this small group of growers yeah. that were growing a really quality product that we wanted to share with the world. Cool. And so from from that, Credo has grown. Yeah, significantly. Significantly, mm-hmm. yeah. So you kind of partnered with them for <clears throat> a couple of years and then had moved into um, a new direction, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. But kind of in those formative few years, being able to um, offer a place like, I mean, in 2011, there was a dearth of coffee shops besides Starbucks, right? And so mm-hmm. I was like, what's this credo? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, they were the old the old coffee shops in town, like Drunken Monkey and, um, oh goodness, the names just left me, Austin's, Austin's and coffee. Stardust. Yeah, yeah. But they weren't necessarily embracing that like third wave of coffee that was becoming the standard by which coffee was measured, mm. at least in flavor and presentation and quality mm-hmm. of the beans and the blends and the roast. Right. And so I think we were stepping into a niche that hadn't yet arrived in Orlando. Mm-hmm. So we were well received. I mean, in yes. fact, this last week, Credo was through Yelp recognized as having been the most loved or the word loved used the most. Yes. Of all coffee shops. How beautiful is or that? Of all businesses, I think. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. 
Congratulations. Uh, congratulations to Credo. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They've worked and well-deserved that, which is yeah. a really cool thing to be a part of mm-hmm. and to see, um, I mean, obviously no one is doing it for uh, an award, but to see the hard work that you place into that and to see people resonate with that and to see hopefully there's some moving of the needle to say, hey, mm-hmm. like our lives are better when we um, take, a, take a look at them and when we engage our community mm-hmm. and, we'll, and when we know where our yeah. money is going and how just like it does make a difference, not just like I'm just going to go to Starbucks every day of my life and spend $5 on a whatever <clears throat> excuse me, to, I don't know, feed the man. But as I don't drink coffee, I don't really have any skin in the game, but I was obviously very allured by Credo and Mm -hmm. and wanting to partner and be... Okay. So, um, yes. Anyway, so you have been with Credo, have been with Credo, and then from there had moved into um, your profession, which is a. I'm a licensed mental health counselor now. Yes. So I started school in 2012, and then through a long process, ended up licensed um, 2017. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Um, one thing that I really love about when I started dinner parties and just in general is I love story and just like how people get to the places that they are and we don't really get to choose into where we are, where we're placed in the universe and how we are equipped or not equipped, um, within the, within the world. Um, and there's so much that shapes us within kind of our family of origin and growing up in, in the space that we are placed. And there's so much that's out of our control, which is kind of crazy. And then as we grow up into ourselves, there's a lot that we more so have control over, um, the DNA that's given to us, right? Like we don't choose any of this. We just get placed here. And then, you know, the rest of life feels like fumbling into like figuring out our purpose or figuring out why we're here and then trying to hopefully do something positive and beautiful within the world. Um, so I would love to know kind of from you what it was like, uh, growing up kind of within your family of origin and what that looked like and felt like. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Here Get we ready. go. We're going to be here <laughs> for drink, several hours. How many hours. drinks do we have? <laughs> I hope you have that whole bottle of Glenlivet. Right. Um, yeah, I was born in, in Santurce, Puerto Rico. Uh, and at the age of three, uh, my mother moved over here with me and my sister. Um, to Winter Springs in Seminole County mm-hmm. in the early 80s. Fun. And for those of you who haven't seen me, I am a brown man. And moving to a predominantly white area, I think, informed a lot of the way that I grew and understood myself and understood the world. I think that and personality um, shape the way that you do life. And so Seminole County was still the South. And... Really? That was, it was still very much a black and white place and still Uh, very rural. Um, After the advent of Disney, Mm -hmm. I think it began to change, but we arrived, you know, five years after Disney opened. And so it was predominantly podunk and um, went to private school. My mother worked really hard Mm -hmm. to send us to private school. Sure. And these were predominantly white spaces. I think that also clued me in about how I was going to need to be to survive in the world. Uh, it was a great education, 
but at the same time you compromise aspects of yourself just to get through to fit in so I don't know who your audience quite is Dana but I know they're probably well informed and so you know about code switching right it's the language that you use in order um to assure that you're heard, to assure that you're understood. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of code switching. You know, for, in summers, mom would send us to Puerto Rico, and we got to connect with our family. That's wonderful. Connect with the culture, but then we'd come back, and th- there's a disconnect because we don't necessarily belong in one place fully or another place. Mm. So that's you know, third culture kids. Sure. Puerto Ricans aren't immigrants. We just move here, but at the same time, there's enough cultural distinction that makes it unique. Um, Ended up moving to Lake Mary at some point, graduate from Lake Mary High School, end up at University of Florida where I studied art and anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, family life was really hard. My parents had been divorced and at some point got back together mm-hmm. and then transitioning back to having dad in the house is hard. It's sure. just, it presents a lot of challenges. and Pretty disruptive. It's very disruptive. From what you right. had established after, you know, he left. Yeah. Sure. And those were... Those were my first um, occurrences with mental health as an aid for growth. Mm. And so I think I went reluctantly. I think a lot of parents want to help their kids and they send them to counseling, but don't necessarily get involved themselves. And so, you know, my parents did that, ended up in counseling and realized that I really liked it. It was a it was a venue for me to self-explore and to understand some of the dynamics better. And your parents went to counseling or just you? At that time, it was just me. I think later, when I had some more serious issues, they got involved out of necessity. But right. at the time, they they saw some problems in me. And, you know, I think the, the cliche is like, fix my kid. Sure. And so I ended up not quite getting fixed, but learning a whole lot, which... <laughs> Which afterwards I weaponized and I would bring home and use the knowledge that I gained, Ooh. which wasn't helpful. But right, you're a teenager; you do what you think yeah. you need to do. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the world's worst teenager. Learned, learned a lot. Sure, we're very different now. Yeah, where are you in the birth order, and what did that look like? That dynamic look like? I'm the second kid. Yes, I am. I was the easier kid. I think my sister mm-hmm. was the stronger child. And then she ran the gauntlet before me, right? And so... The firstborn and a woman. The firstborn and a woman. I mean... Gotta be strong. I know that story. Yeah. Ooh. And I was the the more sensitive child, very artistic. um, Yeah. Softy, I think, for the most part. Yeah. And I don't know that my parents knew what to do with me. I think they were both strong people as well. More head and thought-oriented, and I was very... I was an overflow of feelings. It's a volcano erupting at all times <laughs> with a lava of emotion. No surprise yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So many feelings. So many feelings. What do we do with all these feelings? <clears throat> so did that feel, did you sense the feeling of like, I am overwhelming to my family? You you can tell. I mean, kids don't always, can articulate exactly what their parents are experiencing or feeling, mm-hmm. but you you internalize what they're feeling based on their responses towards you. Yeah. I think my parents did the very best with the tools that they had, and I think that comes in retrospect. At the time, you just sense maybe the rejection or you sense the, the inability, so you learn to put certain things away or to enhance other things. And so hmm. there was people-pleasing, and I wanted to be agreeable, and I wanted to be a good kid, but at the same time, when certain needs aren't being met, 
you, you figure out how to manipulate or how to get the needs met or how to avoid being seen when it's helpful and how to yeah. be seen all the time to get what you want. It's adaptive. Kids make it through. They're really resilient. I think all that stuff shows up later in life. The, the ways that we learn like maladaptively. The coping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's been a process and a journey to figure some of those things out. Sure. What was Stefan like in middle school and high school? Mm-hmm. I'm sad we can't show photos <laughs> oh, over over a podcast medium because there's some good ones. Yeah. There's some, well, there's it's some special <laughs> <laughs> images yeah. of you and your growing up years. I fully embraced being a nerd. I, I loved it. I loved um, the outdoors. I loved herpetology, <laughs> mm-hmm. reptiles and amphibians. I had a lot wow. of so, aquariums and terrariums. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah which has Pets. grown into such a, an amazing tool mm-hmm. here in 2019. Yeah. I loved reading you are, and writing. Yeah. I was very internal. I had a very extroverted way with people, but I had a very private world, which I didn't share with anybody. And that was a a fantasy world, um, very imaginative and self-protecting. So that was a place that I could escape to, which I think fueled a lot of my creativity and the fact that I didn't mind spending a lot of time alone. By yourself. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I spent hours in solitude. And it's both restorative, but I think also can be really lonely if you Mm -hmm. indulge it too much. Right. And so I think my middle school years, um, I lived far from any of my friends at school because I yeah. wasn't in public school. Right. And so, you know, you, you spend hours just kind of with yourself. My sister and I weren't close growing up. We're not. Mm-hmm. What was, was she very extroverted? Was she? She's very active. Active. Yeah. So she was a physical person and I right. definitely was not. So a lot of time like sitting. Right. Contemplating. They called me the little old man, El Viejito. Say what? El Viejito. Okay. The little old man. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I would sit and sort of contemplate. Got it. And then in high school, were you more of an active, engaged part? Or were you kind of on the fringes? Like what was Stefan in high school? And that's where you met Ben at Lake Mary? I think high school is... um, In high school, people are beginning to exert their own sense of self. They're becoming fully themselves in that I know who I am and I know who I'm not, and I have to experiment with that. And so adolescents are all about themselves. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that was, that was me as well. Where do I belong? Where do I fit? What do I have to offer? Who likes me? Who do I like? Right. And so you get to, you get to play with that somewhat in the clubs and extracurricular activities, the classes that you choose, your friend groups. And high school is just a crash course in becoming more fully yourself. What works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so I, I spent a good amount of time trying on different identities in high school and never really landed. Hmm. I had groups that I would come in and out of. I had friends. but I wouldn't do that experience again. High school? Yeah, absolutely not. Right. For a hundred percent. We made it out. Especially for me, it was middle school was the tra- the trauma years. But then also, yeah, in high school is a very lonely, confusing time. Oh, yeah. Figuring out where do I belong? Mm-hmm. Who do I want to be? That is, it's hard. Yeah. That is hard. It is hard. Mm-hmm. And your body's changing. Yeah. What the heck is happening? It's 
tough. Yeah. 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 So you felt like glad to be out of high school years and then you were released onto the world in Gainesville. Sure, yeah. College felt like escaping. Like I got out of right. this horrible situation. In retrospect, there were difficult moments and it wasn't as horrible as probably my emotional life told me it was. Right. But nevertheless, it was a time to be free from some of those constraints, which I did not handle well. I don't know that I had the tools uh, in uh-huh. place to At, really manage. Like 17, 18. Right. I graduated young. I was the youngest probably in my class because of that cutoff date in September. Right. So I ended up at college living in an apartment at 17 with about the maturity of a 14-year-old. And so living that out and watching myself kind of crash and burn, um, I think took a big hit on my confidence and my ability to just do normal life. Mm -hmm. A lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, substance abuse, eating disorder, kind of all showed up at the same time. Mm -hmm. It just exploded out. And I'm shocked. My parents are shocked. And... Uh, no one really knew what to do. And so I ended up having to withdraw from uh, my second semester of college, like a medical withdrawal, and come home. Yeah. And and so they were there to help, but they didn't know really how to help, and I didn't know how to help myself. So you're just sitting there, like... It was a lot of counseling. I had some good counselors. Uh Now what? Yeah, I had some support along the way that informed the process. Right. But messy. It was messy, and I think that it's not necessarily as common, but it is not abnormal. And so I'm able to embrace that part of my story now without the stigma, without the fear. It was a messy time, and I was figuring out how to be an adult. Right. And after that semester, did you return to UF? I did. I, I probably went a little too early again. To be back in that. To be back in the same environment with sure. a few tools that I had accrued. Um, I had enough that I was a little more functional. And I found <clears throat> a group of people that were healthy enough to walk alongside of me and yeah. to remind me of who I was and how to be in the world in healthier ways. I just didn't know. Hmm. I had some very self-destructive ways of being And I think that had to do with an inability to really articulate what was happening inside. I could feel what was happening inside, but I didn't know how to express it. So instead of doing something with the pain, I just enacted it on myself, which is a a kind of way of taking out the pain. Some people aim it outwards. I didn't do that as much. I aimed it inwards. That's pretty tough. Yeah, it was, it was, it was messy. Yeah. (laughs) God bless my mother. Yeah. God bless your mother for sure. Um, so as we grow into our adult worlds and lives, um, and, um, has there been a moment kind of in your adult world that you have felt like a lot of pride in or like taken, like I've, I've, I've landed somewhere that, um, I've achieved, I have, um, gotten to a place that I am proud of or a moment or a piece of art that you've done or something like, is there a moment that you felt like, man, I'm in this moment and I feel like really proud of myself here, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I can't do this outside of the lens of a personality or type. And so I think for 
the way that I experience myself when I make intentional choices and almost activate some of the things I feel in the interior mm -hmm. and then see them and, and to follow through and then land and be able to celebrate that. That's when I'm at my best, when I'm repeating that process again and again, mm -hmm. essentially goal setting and then accomplishing. And that can be very short term, very small things, but also very yeah. long term things. The one that I felt probably the most proud of was like getting my master's. Yeah. At, at graduation, that's probably the proudest I felt in my life. Finishing my internship, yeah, getting my license, sure. But it was finishing that program where they put you through the gauntlet. It's, a, it's definitely no, a. It is not. I've had dress. several friends go through. So I have. I have a degree in psychology with substance abuse counseling minor, and that was the, the path that I thought that I was going to take and um, had a lot of friends who went through that, and it was actually something that I was like, I don't know that I can handle. Like this, it's often two years, but, the, you know, like the, the studying part and the emotional part that you're like revisiting so much of your mm -hmm. own stuff while this intense workload. Yeah. And it's, it's for a, a huge purpose and it's, I think that I had, I had, I have a different path in life, but like, I think it's a very, very intense process for someone to get there to be a mental health counselor. Yeah. They're yeah. trying to kill you. You're <laughs> They're really trying <laughs> right. to destroy you. Right. And I didn't know that I could handle that, honestly. So I, you know, obviously decided not to go down that, down that path, but I admire people that say, this is worth it enough for me to like, I have to put myself on the line personally um, for a lot of years. It's not like a semester. It's like you're a sustained really heavy and intense time. Yeah. And all the, all the other things suffer until you're kind of through the other end of being done with your master's and in, in it's like, no. you know, mental health. So I congratulate you and just cheer you on Thanks. during that process to like, actually come out the other side of but it. But I think you did. I think you did kind of cheerlead me along the way during those years. Yeah. It was crazy making. It was crazy making. Yeah. But yeah, without a community, where would any of us be, right? Yeah. Oh, Lord. But... I think there's a popular word right now, I think in, in Christian circles, like the deconstruction. I think there is a deconstruction that happens when you start to examine and the story you thought you knew yeah. isn't the story that actually is. There, there's more to it. Uh-huh. But that unraveling process could be undoing as a human. Like, oh, yeah. How do, you, how do you ever put yourself back together? Yeah. Or how do you ever come out of that and then have a semblance of normal living yeah. on the other end? Yeah. It is a brave thing to do, I think, in my book. Um you able to face that and to keep on going what you've done and now have a very successful practice yeah my life is fuller i think that's the benefit that's the boon of it was yeah. you come out on the other side i don't think fully formed mm -hmm. i think there's a growth process now that continues sure that's the acorn having to crack and go into the ground in order to come out of the ground a sapling yeah. that eventually grows into a tree but it has to change shape. It has to go through metamorphosis, right? Hmm. But that involves being crushed and broken open. Oh. Speaking of being crushed and broken open, I sometimes don't know, like, which way to, like, which question to ask first. But I think they're both very valid and important. But um, 
Has there ever been a time in life or an experience in life that um, has been devastating to you? And kind of like, how did you address that and look and move through it and then come out on the other end of it still living? Yeah, there's been many points in youth that have been difficult and you just kind of slodge through you, you, with the tools that you have. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of pushing. Sometimes you get delayed and you get stuck in the muck. Um, I think more recently, the thing that's been the most difficult is um, my mom passed about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a, a year this weekend. And so this weekend, this weekend. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So reconciling that. Yeah, October 14th. Right. So one full year. One full year. And not having her around. Yeah. That's probably been the most challenging um, at kind of a global level because of what it means for life. This is the person from which you emerge. This is the Mm -hmm. person who shapes reality for you. You are an extension of this person. And to not have them there is is devastating. It's like been truly dark at points. Mm-hmm. I think also honoring and remembering her and remembering the story of her and how she influenced my life. That's been beautiful. So I think to intentionally visit that repeatedly, like, oh my God, my mom, in the good and the bad, but in the good, my my God, she blessed me. Like she did so much. So to be able to look back and see how actual how actually formative she was for me. Mm-hmm. That is, that's been cool, mm-hmm. but it's been so, so hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've, you've lost someone too. I have been there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so to manage with that when sometimes that's what you want to think about and sometimes you want to sit in there and sometimes you want to visit those memories, yeah. but you still have a life to live holding those two things. Two in tension. things. Yeah. Like letting, how, how do you let yourself be, undone in the in some moments and then also be a functional human and then say it's okay that you're sitting in you know like what does grief look like and i think that americans don't really know how to grieve um fully and maybe healthily so there's nothing to prepare you for that experience right for, for many people, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm a crier, and so I love I love getting it out. Yep. Just get it out. Right. I wish I was more of a crier. It's not <laughs> anything like that I don't want that I don't want to, but it's like not a natural response in my body. Like I have other things like I get angry about it or yeah. just like I hold all this tension, right? And there's moments of that for sure. Yeah. But is that your predominant emotion, you think? Anger? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I try to mm, mm, figure out what healthy angry anger looks like yeah. and what it doesn't and then where am I in the middle of that and what's okay and not okay. Um and then also, like, having to learn and understand that people process things differently, right? Mm. So we are all built very incredibly different. Yeah. And 
um, that's, you know, always a consistent learning process and then loving people well, like where they are, how do we do that? Well, you know, especially if we're just like our DNA is all we know. All I know is how I'm built. All you know is how you're built. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads me into our next topic, which is my most favorite in which we will spend probably the bulk of this, um, this time chatting on, um, which is the Enneagram, which what's that? Oh, I, Ooh, ooh. I may have invited the wrong guest on today. (laughs) Uh, Enneagram is something that I've, um, been graciously enlightened. I think, I mean, it kind of came into, into circles a couple years ago and then having your knowledge, uh, was a huge impact on that. And then also a huge impact on, on me because I had taken the test initially. There's like, you know, of course there's a couple of different tests. I took like the one, the, the main one or whatever. I took that test and I was like, I am, I am hugely into, I was hugely into Myers-Briggs. So I was, I'm an ENTJ, EI. Um, and I, I really, with like interest in psychology, I have a, I have a huge interest one in people's stories, but two in just how we're built intrinsically is fascinating because like I I mean way before the Enneagram I was like it's so fascinating that the same information can come in my ear and in in be be processed in my brain and go in your ear and be processed in your brain in completely different ways. And that was something that I was like, I don't understand this. And that's so fascinating. Like what is, what is the, the pattern or the, what is happening inside of your brain to make one person make one decision and one person make a very different decision on the other end, which is, I think just humans, right? Yeah. Yeah. So being, being very, very different in that, in that way. So with the Enneagram, I took it and I was a seven. And so I was like, huh, okay. I was like, yeah, I can kind of see that. And I also, when I take these tests, I always feel like there's so many different ways to answer them. And in the moment you're like, well, I'm feeling this way right now, but it depends on what circumstance I'm in. And of course it's like no test is ever fully perfect, but you're just there just trying to get like an overarching, like, how do you, how would you respond in certain situations? And then it spits out this number. Um, so when I had mentioned to you that I was a seven, you said, oh no, oh no, you're definitely an eight, an eight. Yeah. yeah I probably shouldn't have done that, but Why it, not? it would have been more fun for you to discover along the way. Right. But it was a, an interesting moment to like think. I was like, okay, I'll go back and revisit that. And I was like, oh, the eight is the challenger. And I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't want to be the challenger. <laughs> that's not, that's, right? It doesn't sound lovely Sure. to be a challenger. And, um, but when I read through the descriptions of the eight, I was like, holy Moses, like, was I in the room when they wrote this? Do they know me? Like, I don't understand how it can be like so scarily mm. on, like so, so specific Um, so as it were, I definitely now identify, you know, like as an eight and I think has brought a lot of, um, awareness and healing for me to say like, yeah, my like under my under, um, 
like the emotion that I go to is anger, right? And so people react in very different ways. And sometimes I would be like, well, I don't like, why aren't you mad about this? But they are afraid or something. And so like, I'm like, how is it where we are built so differently as human beings, right? Right. And I think learning about all the different nine different kind of types within the Enneagram has helped me personally, hopefully to have better awareness of like how I like in, in inhabit a space, how other people inhabit it, like what is reward for them? How do they communicate? What's, what does health look like for them? What is health like for me when I'm not healthy? How can I be aware of that? Um, and has the Enneagram has kind of come into vogue in the past couple of years, let's say, but I would really love, and I was very excited to have you on just to like nerd out about the Enneagram and be able to hopefully give us, um, a broad bandwidth of like the Enneagram. So I mean, people are getting into it. Some people have been in it for a couple of years, but like, where did the Enneagram, like, why did, did it all of a sudden become popular? What has its history been? Mm-hmm. Why is it important? Why do, why should we pay attention to it? Um, and then you can preface again. So your role is a mental health counselor. And so this is some of the things that you've studied mm-hmm. yeah. to be a benefit. Yeah. So with, with the Enneagram, I get excited about it because of the synchronicity that it enables. And mm. so when, when I'm connecting with someone else at a vulnerable level, I think at a basic level, people want to be seen and known mm. and understood and valued and affirmed and to feel secure. And I think the Enneagram can be a tool that allows that to happen more frequently and at a deeper level. Right. Um, I came into the Enneagram similar to you, like I had taken a test and I thought I was a certain number Ah. and I knew that I was an emotional type and the Enneagram is divided into um, centers of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's divided around that circle into centers of, of knowledge. And so that's primarily the way that we understand or receive information about the world, how we process. And so as an eight, you probably know that you are, you're a body type or a visceral type. And so you're experiencing things at a visceral level, right? Sure. And so I knew I was a heart type because I knew I lived very much in my emotions. I was told that my whole life, you're so right. sensitive, like you feel too much, blah, blah, blah. So I knew I was within emotions. that what heart center mm-hmm. and I tested very highly as a two. Ah, yeah. I see that. And a two is a helper. And I yeah. thought that was noble. I lived a lot of my life helping or serving others in a certain way, mm. um, not knowing that it was probably dysfunctional along the way. It's not always bad, but a lot of the way that I did it was unhelpful. So that was the period on my sentence. I was a two. Uh-huh. Didn't revisit it, sort of lived out of that. Later, as I'm learning more about the Enneagram, I took a workshop and in that workshop, uh, Chris Hewitt's pointed out to uh-huh. me some of the discrepancies in the way that I was approaching it. He did it very kindly. He was straightforward about it. Sure. And that's when I found out that I was, that. was actually in a, a four. Right. Not really knowing much about how the Enneagram is set up in movement or integration and disintegration. We'll get more into that. Right. But in seeing that I was a four, I had a similar experience to you as well, where oftentimes the type that you have difficulty connecting with or the type that you identify that is difficult for you to embrace Mm -hmm. is your type. Hmm. And so as you see that 
it's like holding a mirror up and we don't always want to look in the mirror. Sure. It can be a painful, Scary place. A painful time. Right. Yep. And so I had several weeks of reading a lot about fours and just wondering in deep despair. Is that how people see me? Is that how I am? Oh my God. It was, it was actually pretty terrifying. Uh huh. R- really, really disconcerting. And what year was this? This is 2015, 2016. Okay. okay. I think I, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. I was like devastated. I was like, I did not want to be that. I did not right. want to walk around the world like that. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that I, okay. I was embodying so much of that that just that was um, left a bad taste in your mouth. Hmm. And so that began the exploration of how do I begin to embrace this part of me, this this shadow, this like personality mm-hmm. that I've been walking in my whole life and then maybe not seen. And I think that's a theory that undergirds the Enneagram is the idea of the shadow. The, the, if you cast light on an object, if you illuminate an object, it's going to cast a shadow. And we're not always aware of the shadow. Sometimes we're just huh. aware of the light. Sure. And so if we're talking about personality, yeah. and like Jungian theory, right? Like Myers-Briggs is based on Jungian theory. There's yeah. um, a light side and a dark side. Then we're, we're understanding personality to be the thing that helps us to get through. So in childhood, I have to figure out a way to survive. I adapt. I notice where I get praise. I notice how to prevent attack. And I wear this personality over my skin because it helps me to live. At some point, though, if I'm carrying that still, I'm hiding something beneath. I may not be doing it purposefully. It may be out of unknowing that I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. So Enneagram allows for the embracing of the personality while also inviting one into a deeper exploration of who we are deep down. Right. So in my interior, at my essence, at my best self, there's something more. And I think Enneagram essentially is the exploration of that essence. Right. So beyond the personality, how do I begin to grow? How do I, how am I invited into, Mm. um, this multi-dimensional approach at growth. Hmm. So that would be the main difference between like a Myers-Briggs personality type and the Enneagram. Myers-Briggs might be a little bit more concrete because it just kind of tells you what you are. And then that's, that's it. That. Yeah. Right. Which, which I think could be true. This is, these are ways that you show up. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I think there's ways that we're invited to grow. And that's the painful part of the Enneagram is it's going to show you how you've been, mm-hmm. how you have survived, and also challenge you to something more. These are your blind spots sometimes. Absolutely. Right. These are things that you might not be aware of. And so we need community. We need the people. And then we need knowledge to say, like, yeah, yeah these are your strengths are here. But then also your blindness is over here. And, like, if you want to, like, I guess float through life with your blinders on. And that's up to you, but also here's like a way to like take an honest look at it. And of course we're on varying levels and varying days of like, do I want to like acknowledge the ways that I can't, um, you know, function well or, mm-hmm. or, I, or I don't interact well, or, um, do I just want to turn a total blind on to eye to it and just pretend like I'm God's gift to earth. Which is most days, let's be honest. But um, <laughs> you wish. Yeah. So where, like, what is the history of the Enneagram? Like, how did like it become popular in 2015? But has it like has it been around? Is it like what what is its history? 
This episode of Cocktails in Conversation is brought to you by The Welcome House. The Welcome House is an Airbnb in Orlando, Florida that loves to host people in small gatherings. It's got everything you need to relax and entertain, including your own private entrance to the spacious room with its own full bathroom and living room area. It also includes access to the large pool and an outdoor dining area. This spot is perfect to restore and renew. And if you are coming into town for the attractions, they are only 20 minutes away. And you can also get to the beach in under an hour. So if you are looking for a staycation or coming to enjoy all that Orlando has to offer, the Welcome House is your perfect place to stay. Just search the Welcome House on Airbnb. The Enneagram became popular recently here in the West, though the traditions of the Enneagram have been present in a lot of different faith traditions, spiritual traditions over over millennia, really. Hmm. And so there was... A, a few people that began to create an amalgam amalgamate of the information into some kind of form that could be used as a tool. And that was like probably 1930s, 40s. It arrived in the States, 50s, 60s, and became most popularized by a very small crew of people. Mm -hmm. um, m most people know of Richard Rohr, and he's the one that sort of married perhaps like the the faith tradition with the Enneagram mm. and made it more of a, of a useful tool. Sure. This is accessible now. This, this is, is like not in like the seventies, late seventies, seventies. Yeah. yeah. And so it's no longer like an esoteric sort of underground thing. Now, now it's become sort of an above ground movement mm -hmm. that you can embrace within any faith tradition and then use as a tool for growth yeah. and self-examination. Mm -hmm. it, it's helpful within psychology because at its, at its roots, there is a, a great psychological element hmm having to do with, with growth. So rather than pathologize our, our shortcomings, we're inviting the shortcomings into growth. So the focus becomes the who we could be rather than how our pain is showing up. Ah. I think that's the, the beauty of the Enneagram. It doesn't end on the pain or the brokenness or the woundedness. Mm -hmm. It's always invitational. Right. And so now I think it's entering to a lot of different realms of society the way I understand that probably is there's like a great lack of meaning right now in our culture and a lack of significance. Part of that is our political system, our cultural system, the ways yeah. that we've been taught. It's failed us, sure. I think, on many levels, mm -hmm. right? Even our religious institutions have failed us yeah. on some level by not telling us the full truth. Like when you hold up the good in front and you hide the, the bad behind, mm -hmm. it's not the full story. So you can't make an informed decision about who you're wanting to be in a culture that praises certain things and then also denies other realities. Hmm. And so a lot of that growth begins at a very personal level. And like you were saying, is then enforced at a community level and then reinforced at a societal level sure. and then celebrated at a global level. And so unless we're willing to do that individual work, of self-examination and growth, we're not going to be able to be celebrated in our communities. We're going to be defended against our communities. So that's the Ooh. me against you. Right. Or this side against that side. Right. And so the Enneagram is, I think, at its heart, attempting to bring those walls down and saying it's not us against them, me against you. This is me against the inner darkness that has sort of ruled over me in many ways. Like, I lived this way not because I'm an ass, but because I had limited information. Mm -hmm. 
And so we're assuming so, that humans mm-hmm. at their best are wanting to grow. Right. And then giving them the tools yeah. to enlighten them. And then also when you see what it is, then also how do you move towards health? And that I think has been the really beautiful part for me about just the Enneagram. Um, but would you walk us through kind of the nine different types and what they are and how they express themselves? So to give a quick overview around the circle, the diagram of mm-hmm. the Enneagram, there are what they call centers of intelligence. And at the centers of intelligence, um, you begin to see patterns develop. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. live generally out of three states of being, which would be sort of their visceral or their body, their emotional or their heart or um, head or thought. And so you, you find yourself right. living more out of one of those generally. Mm-hmm. We have all of them within us at some level. Sure. We're going to lean on one and that begins to dictate how our personality begins to show up. And so if you take mm-hmm. a, an online test, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to see with the results that you get kind of um, tested in all the different numbers. You're going to show up as a percentage sure, of all of them, right. which that's what the circle represents is, is unity and connection. And so all of us are you living don't just within, operate out of one number. Exactly. Right? Like, so I'm not just this, but I am all the numbers, but I predominantly maybe operate out of here. But I can also operate in something that's not just an eight. Just you. Right. right. And I can also be And there's a so four. many variables for sure. that, right? Like the way a personality shows up has to do with our environment and who we're around, our friends mm-hmm. and our family and the way our parents were and their personality types yeah. and what our culture dictates. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of variables in there. The Enneagram what essentially just gives a framework of how to understand the way that that yes, showed up. Yes, yeah. So that's where it's helpful. Sometimes when I'm describing it on this podcast, I kind of say it as like a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a roadmap, and here's all these different personalities in your personality. And it gives you this landscape of what that kind of looks like for you in your interior world to live right. and grow and be yeah. and you embody this and sometimes it's very confusing it is <laughs> so confusing it's more like here's a roadmap to and it can help. be intimidating too i think for some people like don't oh, don't tell Lord. me what i am don't box me in don't yeah don't well, especially a four but yeah <laughs> <laughs> we like to be different but we also like to be known and so we're <laughs> it's attraction repulsion for sure right but yes. around those centers of intelligence there's there's the emotional types, mm. and those are two, three, and four, so that's a good place to start. Sure. Two is higher up in the circle, and so they, they live primarily to have a desire to be loved. And that's going to motivate a lot of their actions, mm-hmm. and essentially in, in helping, serving, and giving mm. to others. They're, they're the most generous type yeah. in every possible way. Um, threes are the achiever. Threes live out of a basic desire to accomplish and that's primarily how they build a world where they can receive love yeah. out of hmm. their achievement. I mean, at the, at the base of things, all nine numbers want to be loved, right? And known. Received. We are known. humans that want mm-hmm. to be loved and known. We, and some how of them we do achieve it in that, ways. Yeah, how others. we achieve yeah. that is vastly different. Oh, yeah. So this might be a good time to mention this. All of the types, and we won't go too deeply into it, have a sort of wound that begins to motivate Mm. their behavior. Mm -hmm. This happens early on when we figure out that even the best caretakers, our mothers, fathers, grandparents, community members, aren't able to provide fully what we need to get through. 
And so we begin to adapt pretty early on. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are sometimes subconscious, unconscious, and then sometimes conscious decisions that we make to make it through. Mm. I've got to survive. Yeah. And so if they can't give it to me, I'm going to find a way to get it. It's so powerful. Yeah. To realize that that is where it stems from in maybe essentially it's no one's fault, right? Because we're all humans. Mm. Your parents were never going to be perfect to you. Yeah. Even the best. Even the best. Mm -hmm. Even the best. But it's going to manifest in some way. And then here we are as adults. And then we're like, what the F is going on? Figuring it out and learning to shed the things that aren't working. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I had plenty that wasn't working, right? Yeah. I'm a four. We're incredibly emotional. (laughs) They say that the twos and the fours have the highest emotional capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, Threes have the emotional capacity, but being the center of the heart types, two, three, four, threes are in the middle. They are almost divorced from their ability to feel, to freely feel Mm. their emotion. Mm -hmm. So they, their emotions live in a murky underworld Mm. and they have to descend in order to experience them. For twos and fours, it's right on the surface. Fours on the surface, yeah. We experience it as our language primary. Mm -hmm. So some people have thoughts first. Some people have like a body reaction first. Uh-huh. For fours, they experience emotionally first, and then they assign thoughts to it. I think mm-hmm. that's strange for some people because that's not how they are. I will feel an emotion at the beginning of a conversation, in the middle of a conversation, and then I have to translate that very quickly into what would I think about that? What am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm just swept away by emotion all the time. That's the weakness of a four. And so in doing so... They're, they're trying to understand mm-hmm. so that they can be understood. At the heart of a four is the need to articulate things in yeah. a certain way in order to, to be seen. They do that by trying to stand out in many ways. I want to be individual. The ways that it sabotages them, that it, it often limits their ability to be heard because it comes behind a wave of emotion that some people can't handle. So fours need to adapt in order to mm-hmm. actually be heard, mm-hmm. to be less rescued and more active in the world. So make choices, right? It's hard to be objective and rational when you're drowning in emotion all the time. Um, Moving on to the head types, uh, fives are the investigators. Fives live detached from their bodies in a certain way that protects them from emotional onslaught. They live primarily in their heads so the joke about fives is that they're sort of disembodied thoughts. They live sort of floating above any situation. Mm. The detached part protects them from being wounded, yep. mm-hmm. but it also prevents them from deeply connecting. And so they're always living in that tension of wanting to connect, but fearing that they're going to be taken from. And so having to develop a persona that prevents the onslaught. Hmm. Sixes are the center of the head types, yeah. and um, their popular name is the loyalist. The loyalist uh, is a very connective, generous type. They live out of a general anxiety at all times, which <laughs> at the worst can overactivate them mm-hmm. and make them pretty angry or pretty confused. Or pretty high-strung. High-strung, preventing from trusting themselves and their own intuition. Hmm. At their best, they kind of represent pure awareness. They're receiving stimuli from their environment at such a rate. Mm-hmm. It's almost like 360. Then they're able to translate that into meaningful 
connective experiences for folks. And action. And action. Uh-huh. So they're very action-oriented. Yeah. They're it's demonstrative ta- of mm-hmm. their love. They're very giving. And they're good at performing a task to say, like, I I can see what needs to be done. I can make a list. I can, like... And it's and it's like a like a beautiful way of like people that can actually follow oh, yeah. through. Their pragmatism knows Pragm- no right. bounds. God they bless them. The we need them for sure. Yeah. So they don't just talk about love; they they represent it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the top of the head triad is the seven, and they're the enthusiasts. You were mistyped as a seven. Sure. Sevens are the fun of the world. They are. They are, are the, the part where the party. Party. Uh, they move humanity along. That was my dad. Celebration. My dad was a seven, right? Yeah. So there was no party that he didn't want to be at. There was no yeah. person that he didn't want to meet. Everything was like here, 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 and like he just always wanted to be where the fun was, right? Yeah. And so like he wasn't super detail oriented, or sometimes following through was a little bit harder of a challenge, mm-hmm. but. He was, the, he was, I think, like, maybe most popular in high school, but just, like, you know, he was such, such a fun guy yeah. to be around. They're magnetic. Yes. They are. His charm Charming. led him yeah. into so many. Like, I remember when I was 16, he took me to Atlanta for the uh, Olympics. Um, at the 2016 Olympics in Atlanta. And so he just had the bravery, and we stood outside the... Um, we stood outside the the arena where they were playing the 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 all star basketball team was playing, mm-hmm. and so we just waited there till about halftime, and then people were leaving, and he was like, "Hey, like, are you are you are you leaving? Do you mind if we take your tickets?" And so we went in for the second half and watched the dream team play in like you know ninety six, and like he just had a fearlessness and a yeah. passion for like we're gonna do this, like it doesn't yeah. matter what people think, yeah. But we are going to live life to its fullest. Yeah. They're willing to take the risks for novel experiences. Yeah. Which is invitational for mm-hmm. people. That's why they're, they're so much fun to be around. At, like you said, at their at their worst, when yeah. they're not doing well, they have difficulty following through. They have difficulty embracing the mm-hmm. full reality of a situation with its limitations, right? They want to yeah. avoid pain at all costs. When they're mature, they're able to really hold in balance the pleasure and the pain, and they become incredibly realistic. Right. And that's wonderful because they can still be fun, and we love that, but they're also grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving into the body types, yeah, we have the eight, which is the challenger. Yep. I think you would be most qualified to tell us about that. Guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> Me to tell you about the yeah, challenger? Yeah, what's like that for you? Um, it's often confusing. So I think that I've had a lot of, um, I was, I was a firstborn and then I had four brothers after that. And, um, in, in a, you know, family and just trying to like make your own way. So I'm, I'm interested in, in how that kind of shaped me. And I guess into the person that I am of just, you know, maybe somewhat forceful in figuring out, well, this is what I want. So like, how am I going to get it? And being, able to devise a plan and then maybe execute on that plan. Um, so yeah, a lot of confidence. I think that I've just had in my life and there's not, not that I'm never not confident and there's plenty of that, but I think that I can like 
see a vision and maybe where other people can't see that. And so I, I know I'm like, this can be done guys, let's do this together. If, if not, then I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to do mm-hmm. it. So just figuring out what resources I have and then trying to achieve it yeah. somewhat, no matter what, but just like, you know, a couple, <clears throat> a couple obstacles like aren't going to like shut me down. Um, but then also sometimes having a hard time understanding where other people are coming from and why they maybe can't follow through or produce something, um, or how people's like rewards are very different. And sometimes I have a, have a little bit of a tougher time having compassion on the way, different ways that people operate. And I operate in my own way and obviously want to be aware of my blind spots and move towards health. And then I also know that like, sometimes I just like, I was like anger has kind of always been a sub on the sub level of who I am. And I would not understand that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think illuminating like as a woman and like having strong emotions and like, you know, very being very justice oriented whether it's in my own tiny world, you know, in my own friends, or if it's at the world at large. And so that's something that justice is not something that is prevalent in the world today. So especially in my twenties and viewing God and viewing humanity. And there was just like, our world is effed and like God's justice is not here. It was a very hard time, horrible time to like, why am I going to trust in a God who's like, letting the world go to shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's so important. I think about the eight that they are sort of the balance ledger of the circle and that justice is a primary motivation and they use anger to enact it. And so the anger informs what is good and bad and right and wrong Mm -hmm. and lets them see it very clearly in order to make the decisions. So they represent people really, really well at their best. Right. And that's where compassion is a lens that you can use. And learning that anger can be good and can be destructive. Right. How you use it. How you use it. Right. So like it's not bad to just to be angry. We mm-hmm. should be angry at things in the world. Like the, the world at. is not as it should be. Right. So yeah. for me, it was very freeing to understand <clears throat> that there is anger that motivates you to move to action. And then there's also anger that can also be very destructive. And so like, how do I navigate that? And it's hard sometimes to figure that out. Like, what do I do with these very strong emotions? Yeah. When also other people don't react, they react in shame. And I'm like, why would you be, why would you be shamed about that? Like, but there's nothing, that's not on you. Right. That's like your exterior circumstances or I don't know. So in my growth, I'm trying to figure out how to love people well and how to understand that other people don't react in the ways that I do. Right. Because I think it's some of that compassion and even tenderness coming forward. That, I mean, we'll get into some of the growth aspects of it in a moment. But uh-huh. that's a good overview of the eight. Here I am. Right. Just doing the best I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the very top of the circle and at the center mm-hmm. of, of the intelligence of body, there is the nine Mm -hmm. and nines are representative of every other number on the circle. They're the Mm -hmm. ones that in losing themselves, they have the most difficulty connecting with their anger and also connecting with their full identity or their essence. But at the same time, so intriguing, they represent 
all the other numbers on the circle mm -hmm. with deep understanding. And so I think that's pretty interesting that you have a type that makes the peace the peacemaker mm -hmm. and has difficulty knowing who they are. And so I think that's the journey for the nine is to connect with some of their anger that can catalyze movement or intention yeah. that allows them to be fully more themselves mm -hmm. because they understand everyone else and sometimes surrender who they are or like merge sure. into the identities of all the other numbers. Right. But then when they can't find their voice, the anger that comes from that, I think that is fascinating to Useful. me because there really is the anger mm. kind of simmering and sometimes you don't know <laughs> Yeah. When or why. Mm -hmm. But right, their disconnectedness too, I think like It shows up well, in certain ways like stubbornness or defiance mm -hmm. or resistance or passive aggression. Pa that's but the it's one. oftentimes not clearly expressed mm. nor sort of acted upon. Yeah. I'll let you know that I'm pissed at you through passive aggressive behavior, but I won't necessarily do anything about it. And that's right. the weakness of a nine. <laughs> or communicate clearly. But they are the most understanding of all uh -huh. people. They're our, they keep best, society, our best of right, friends are right. nines. Like. They keep society moving in a way because they are connecting with others. Mm -hmm. They are connection. They represent connection. Yeah. We need all of the numbers. All the numbers. And yeah. then we have finally one. Yep. And one is um, the reformer. One's are forced to be reckoned with, yeah. just like an eight. They're on both sides of the nine. Nine is the peacemaker, and you have eight and one yeah. in the body triad. Um, eights are probably pretty angry. Ones are the most angry. Mm. And so ones have a very clear picture of what right and wrong is. Can be. It's very, it can be very black and white. Yeah. They have a very they have Of all the types, they have the strongest inner critic. And so they're driving themselves harder than anyone else will ever drive them. Hmm. They can often be mistyped with a three because they are achievement oriented. There's a way to do things and they're going to get it done. So at their yeah. best, they use all of their energy to help. They are helping society get things done. They are efficient. They're coaches, they're leaders, they're they CEOs, they're the tiger moms. They can see the change that needs to be hap that yeah. happens, right? Yeah. That needs that needs to happen. They know the way to do it to get it done. Be mm -hmm. That beautiful vision. It can become abusive or overbearing in that they sometimes lack nuance or mm. lack the patience in order to really assess where people are. And so it comes out on their kids. It comes out on their coworkers and their friends and family. Yeah. When they're healthy enough to step back from that inner critic and that impulse, and they can use their anger in a way that is productive, mm -hmm. then they're, they're kind and self-effacing and really funny because they, they know that they're wired a certain way. Right. And they can let it go. And so this is a good time to kind of talk about how the Enneagram represents movement. And so each number mm -hmm. is always an integration or always in a direction towards growth right. into another number. We won't fully explore it here, healthy. but yeah. there's a healthier way yeah. to be. And so that's where community comes in to the circle. I am a certain way. And if I want to be fully myself, fully in my essence, I have to grow. So I'm fours move towards ones. Ones move towards sevens. Mm -hmm. Sevens move towards fives. Fives move toward eight. 
eight moves towards two, mm -hmm. two moves towards four, right? And so you're seeing this directionality in the circle that represents growth. Yeah. So if you're, if you're interested, I can give you a lot of references, a lot of books to read, a lot of other people that are more articulate at this than I am, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a never ending never-ending pool of resources. Right. But those were what those arrows are when you see the Enneagram. You're like, an arrow's here and an arrow is here. Yeah. Because in health, we go to, we maybe take on some of the healthier parts of a two for me. You begin to notice. And then you begin seeing, to see it. seeing, I think for me, it was like very helpful to see kind of in that roadmap to see here are maybe some trackers that you, hey, I'm tracking well because yeah. I'm hopefully moving into my, the best version of myself is when I am a two, a helper. Mm -hmm. But when I'm not healthy, then I move into disintegration. Right. Right. And we begin to show less healthy aspects of our own personalities, mm -hmm. the ones that are sometimes self-destructive, destructive to relationships, destructive to society. And those are sometimes we're blind to it. We're just operating out of an old defense. Hmm. So that's hmm. that's the ego part of it is I used to use this and it used to get me by. Oh. But as I grow and I become yeah. more fully myself, mm -hmm. it's no longer a useful tool. Mm -hmm. So I use myself as an example. I thought I was a two. Well, I showed up in a lot of relationships trying to help. And that's a way that I avoided ever taking responsibility for myself. I'm just here to help. Right. I'm ingratiating myself to others in order to secure relationship. Yeah. And in that relationship, now I use this other person to rescue me out of the situations I create for myself. Well, that doesn't work, right? At some level, I'm taking responsibility growing and then making a different decision. Mm -hmm. And I don't need you to do that for me. And so growth for a four looks like having mm -hmm. relationships within perspective. So not becoming like a two. Instead, moving towards the aspects of a one Ones are decisive and they're paying attention and they're goal oriented and they're very intentional about what they're doing. Fours are very nuanced. Ones are very black and white. Sometimes mm -hmm. to be decisive, you have to make black and white decisions. Sometimes it is a yes and a no. That's, right. that's my weak point. Everything is gray. So to grow, I sometimes need to make very difficult decisions. And, and there's a, them. right. And there's a, a path and a model for each, for each type. Right. Super fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you dig into a little bit about what the wings are? Yeah, I can elaborate on that. So around the circle, you have types to both your left and right. Mm -hmm. um, I see those like as groups, groups of friends. When I hang out with a certain type of friend, I'm going to show aspects of that friend. So uh, my friend who's lighthearted and laughs a lot, I'm going to show up like that when I'm around them. My friend who's more introverted and quiet, there's going to be more room to be introverted and quiet. Okay. So I think of wings as like left hand, right hand. You, you'll often use one hand more, right? You might be right handed, but it doesn't preclude that you can't use your left hand ever. Mm. And so there's one that is, you're more accustomed to ah, using. And that's, that's a good way to put that's it. That's like a, how a wing is represented. Okay. So I'm, I'm a four wing three, and that means that more aspects of three, the achiever, show up in my behavior than mm -hmm. four wing five. I sometimes show up like a five. I can, I don't mind solitude. I can be very bookish, spend a lot of time alone, mm -hmm. think rationally. That's there. But I show up more like a three at times. And mm -hmm. so when you take the test, 
they'll they'll generally give you a, a wing that you might lean on more. It's not written in stone, and I think as you get to know it better, I think you become a little bit sort of ambidextrous. Uh huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And I think also with those online tests, I always caution people that they're not the bottom line, right? If you really want to get to know this system better, more clearly, I think a good step to take would be to consult with somebody who's been doing it for longer. Mm. That was most helpful for me several years in. Uh, if you if you want to get to know it better, make the small investment to do a workshop or buy the books and read about all the types because I think yes. that's when you get a clear picture. Is, yes. I'm less this and not really that, but I do show up this way. Right. And that's connected to this other number. But the tests online are just going to spit it out at you. I couldn't. It, it may have been, mm-hmm. been what you ate for breakfast that morning. Right. Like, I, I definitely concur and agree with that. I think that when I first got the result of a test, I was like, huh, well, I don't really know fully if that really embodies me, but just being able to engage with that with people that I trusted and say like, how do you, how do you experience me? Mm -hmm. What does this look like? Do I, is this, you know, a good fit for me? Um, because the end goal is really just to be more self-aware. So finding, finding, I think uh, your right number, I think is actually important and really helpful. And so it doesn't have to be exactly like what a test spits out, but there's so much more knowledge there to shape and hone. And, and we are malleable within that within learning how we grow. So you would say that you're a a four wing three. Mm -hmm. Okay. Primarily it's come back to that. It's come back to that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I am an eight wing nine. (sighs) I would have thought you were an eight wing seven. Mm, That's cool. Just for your desires. Of having these experiences and relishing, and I do relish that. But my uh, so much of my interior world is keeping the peace, mm. and so being in a large family, and then being in a big group of friends, reading a room, reading a table, I am constantly feeling how other people are feeling. So, okay. are you feeling welcomed here? How can I accommodate you? Yeah. Um, where is your headspace today? If you're feeling great. I want to be with you there. If you're not, I'm, I want to be, th- I want I don't want to impose, you know, making you feel uncomfortable. And that's the nine, right? It's like, I, I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. I want to keep the peace. So I, I live in that every day, all day. Yeah. That kind of goes a little bit into the, the, the motivations of the subtypes mm-hmm. yeah, touching on that a little bit. Yeah. So within each of the numbers as well, Mm -hmm. there's what they call an instinctual stack. And those are more... That sounds so scary. Or not scary, but so confused. Like, instinctual stack? What the hell is that? There's like a... (laughs) Now we just sound pretentious. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you don't know your instinctual stack, you can't do this. This interview (laughs) is done. No, it's just more, more information, right? Another level mm-hmm. of knowing oneself and understanding someone else. And I think the more tools you have, the more compassion you can predictably have. Okay. I want to understand you. And so even at, at the, the basic ways that you work a table or decide what you do with your life, 
there, there's motivation under there. And, sure. And to, to be self-aware is to really go to the heart of your motivation. Mm-hmm. And so within yep. the stack, there is the, the sexual type, or they call that the one-to-one. Mm-hmm. There's the social type, and then there's a self-preservation type. Okay. So, so now we're diving into subtypes. Right. Which I think is something that people are starting to like dance around and figure out what that is and what that means. Because you're, we have, there's so many layers of the Enneagram, right? You have your mm-hmm. head, heart, body, then your number, then your wing, then, mm-hmm. then now. Your path of integration and disintegration. Right. And so these don't tend to be predictive as much as, again, they're invitational. This mm-hmm. is just, just so you know. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the more you're able to know about yourself, again, the more you can allow others to be who they are. This is a this is a tool for community. Ah. And so around that circle, the circle yeah. again representing unity, yeah. I'm gonna be a lot more kind to you if I know that what you're doing isn't an act against me. Even if you're being unkind to me, huh. I can depersonalize it because I understand, oh, she's operating out of a defensive way of being. Uh-huh. Oh, she's hurting. That's a very healthy person to depersonalize. That self-realization, <laughs> oh right? Oh my gosh. Where I can be aware of what's happening in my own body oh. as a response to you, mm-hmm. then lets me love you better. God bless. Let's me love yep. my community better. Even the people I don't like or agree with hmm. not doing you it You see to me. them through the lens of their reality yeah. and reality. What they're experiencing. Yeah. So that's the, I think that's the hope with this tool at its very core. Okay. And so the subtypes just become another part of that self-understanding. Okay. Can you go through them again and elaborate a little bit more into how they cast that light and that shadow onto your sure. number? Yeah. So the self-preservation type is, is mainly focused around survival and material security. Uh-huh. It, it is concerned with safety. It's um, having enough resources, avoiding danger. Um, self-realization instinct places emphasis um, against any onslaught from the outside. So they're going to be most aware of what's happening on their interior mm-hmm. in order to preserve that. So they may have the most walls, a.k.a. it might look hmm. like an introverted response because they're defensed. Huh. Or it might look like a attacking response when those boundaries are infringed upon. Mm -hmm. And so it can show up in a number of ways. Yeah. But preserving that inner world is important. And you have the social types. The social types shape their behavior around belonging, um, relationships in social groups, about recognition, their herd type of mentality that relates to to how much power um, one has relative to members of the group. Um, they want a focus on family, on community, and who they belong to. Mm. And so they're constantly sort of surrounding themselves mm-hmm. to reaffirm that that inner mm. sense of need. Mm-hmm. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? How can I create that? Yeah. How can I reinforce that? So they're, they're very relationship-oriented mm-hmm. at maybe a more global level than at a personal level. They'll do the ah, personal level okay. because it's part of the stack, but they're going to be doing it at a, at a larger level versus like the sexual one-to-one. Uh-huh. The sexual one-to-one is predominantly concerned with that 
one-to-one relationship with the intensity. Mm-hmm. So they might be more pursuant of like sexual relationships. But they're more at a 30,000 like foot level as far as like their The influence. social would be. The sexual. Uh, right. The, the social sec- is mm-hmm. versus the one is like on the ground level. Yeah. This is just you and me. Yes, absolutely. And that's where I get, gain my importance. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it, where I gain my importance. Right. It directs that energy towards like achievement and the maintenance of um, that interpersonal attraction, that one-to-one bond, the sexual connection. Hmm. And so they utilize that. And not explicitly in in a sexual. Not only. Right. Not only. Not only. But also in terms of just friendships or relationships that have like very, you're very concerned about the one-on-one um, connection that you have with somebody. It's going to be a predominant draw. Mm-hmm. And so you know those people in the room. They're, they're very <laughs> deeply maintaining eye contact. Yeah. They want to be close to you at all times. Sometimes they're very touchy-feely. It's the person, it's your friend group, the person in your friend group that begins to date somebody and then disappears for several months mm. because they're wanting to connect with their one special person. That's a, yeah. And that's how they're bonding and creating importance right. and validation and affirmation. Hmm. So my stack as a, as a four wing three, mm-hmm. I, I present most social. And so having connections with groups of people is important. It's where I find place. Right. Self-preservation. I'm aware of what is happening. So I retreat from my social spaces into solitude to recharge. And then least sexual or one-to-one, that energy can be exhausting for me. I like it, mm-hmm. but it's often too much. So I'm not necessarily affirmed by it as much as I'm taxed by it, hmm. which puts that at the bottom of the stack. Interesting. So your stack is the three because mm-hmm. we're all three of them. And then it's how you stack them. Correct. Is our, what was it called? In, in, instinctual. Instinctual stack. Because mm-hmm. we're stacked all three different ways. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I think I would be social, sexual, self-pres. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Uh-huh. In that order. Yeah, and there's another helpful tool to understand someone's behavior. So uh-huh. they're not avoiding you. They may just need to recharge. Yeah. And so giving them that space. You may be a sexual person pursuing someone who is self-pres they're not rejecting you. They're just trying to like... They're trying to protect themselves. Protect themselves. So it gives you insight into the way that someone else is behaving or showing up. Right. That's pretty powerful stuff. There's a lot in to there. To have the compassion and empathy that doesn't come as natural for everybody. Yeah. Right. It's a practiced approach as well because we're not, we're not necessarily taught this or... If, these things aren't affirmed in us when we're growing up necessarily mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. explicitly. The way that I was was often either criticized or managed or hmm. or naysayed. And so I had right. to figure out, like, what is actually me and what's helpful and what actually works as different from my culture, my family, my society. Right. My, my interpersonal relationships are revealing something about me that may not work well. So i got to figure out a different way to be. Yeah. But I can't amputate and I can't divorce the way that I am. Yeah. I have to embrace it first. Mm-hmm. So when we be talk honest. It, be honest. Shine that light. Because mm-hmm. then all I can of fully integrate it. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think how powerful this would be if 
kids were brought up with this knowledge or like being able to navigate life and navigate people. And, you know, as kids, a lot of stuff is pretty fluid, but like, as we grow into, you know, teenagers and young adult years, how, I don't know, for me, maybe pitfalls would have been avoided or, you Mm -hmm. know, or just having like emotional intelligence to navigate. Yes. You go to school for, intellectual intelligence. Right. And and we need to, we need to learn and we need to grow and there's life experiences. There's so many colleges, there's so many ways of, of getting there, but just like having run a small business and like failing at a lot of things. I think that I would have maybe not as much made those mistakes had I known, especially dealing with people for the, for their benefit and for mine. And as, as, as growing in life, even as you're getting a job, like, what is that? Like, who am I going to work well with? Like, what is, what is my, not role in my family, but role in your family? What does that look like? And how do I navigate that well? And where are other people coming from so that I don't have to like be constantly at odds or in frustration or, or a lack of understanding of your own self to say, for me, I, for a long time just was like, I'm, I'm so angry about things and that must be wrong. Right. But it's like not necessarily. Not necessarily. So having that being you being freed up in in that and how to live well in your emotions and understanding that people don't operate in the ways that you do. Yeah. And your dream job might not be somebody else's dream job. Yeah. Yeah. At the, at the heart of it, there's one guy who wrote a, a, a book called, I think his name is Ian Crone, but he wrote a book called um, The Road Back to You. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's touching on something very important about the process. So we mm. come out into the world, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited about Ooh. life, right? All these experiences mm-hmm. for the first, like, eight to nine years of life, mm-hmm. we're just absorbing experiences. And unfortunately, a lot of those are negative experiences, are difficult, and they, and they shape us, and we have to protect ourselves, right? And we go through adolescence, reinforcing that into our early 20s and 30s. It's happening sooner now. I think mm-hmm. generations past, some mm-hmm. of these crises or some of these deconstructions were happening in, in people's 60s. And then over the last 30 years, it's happening a lot more quickly. People are experiencing this mm-hmm. in, their, in their 30s and in their 20s. These first encounters with the shell that isn't working. And so there's, there is a returning back to yeah. a place that we came from in our childhood where we, we lived freely out of um, a curiosity and a creativity right. and an openness and a vulnerability that children express all the time. But as an adults, we learn and are um, almost trained to put away. We're conditioned yeah. to no longer express vulnerably. And that sucks because how, we, how do we connect with others? We yeah. don't. How do we have fulfilling relationships? We don't. Right. How do we know that we're not what we do? And our worth doesn't come from our achievements and our accomplishments, nor are we defined by our failures and our shortcomings. Oh, my God. That's not what our culture tells us, right? And so in returning Push back to our stuff. essence, yeah. right? I used to call it macaroni art. When a kid comes with, like, macaroni art to their parents, and they're like, look what I did. Objectively, it's crap. <laughs> but, like, at a deep emotional level, that kid made something, and the parent understands that. And the parent celebrates the kid. Right. That's amazing. You're amazing. And it goes up on the fridge for everyone to see. The kid feels validated. Right. Because he put himself out there. Mm-hmm. And it was received. 
who we're all we trying all to get back. That. We're try- all trying to get back there. Yeah. Yeah. At my best effort, I'm just received. Right. In my vulnerable moment of pain, I'm received. Wouldn't it be lovely? Wouldn't it be lovely? Thanks for diving in with me into that. I we could talk about this till kingdom comes. Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum, which is one of my favorite words. Um, but this leads us into the last topic, which is also one of my absolute favorites, which is the subject of rest. Mm. And for most people that I have been able to have a conversation with, um, this is something that a lot of people don't do or don't know how to do or um, is not somewhere that is of high importance to them. For you, how does what does rest play? What role does rest play within your life? Is it hard for you? I think getting to the place where one can can truly rest. Um, it kind of it takes me back to humans in a primeval era that rest was a defenselessness that took place. In order to fully rest, I had to be protected against predators and weather, and um, I had to have enough food. If I was starving to death, I couldn't really rest. Mm-hmm. And so that was an extension of my place in a community and an extension of a place of Hmm. belonging. I think that I've struggled with um, mental, emotional health issues my entire life. Yeah. Right? So I'm I'm bipolar too, and so I experience very sort of hypomanic highs, and Mm -hmm. then I drop into these depressive lows. Yeah. And those are my body and my thoughts and my emotions all in cahoots trying to get me to slow down and to stop. Yeah. Sometimes I listen to it Hmm. and I see it coming and I'm able to step back from it and give my body, my mind, my emotions, my soul, what it needs. The space that it needs. To just be calm. Yeah. And to restore and to rejuvenate. A lot of times I just keep driving because I, I have stuff to do just like you have stuff to do. And I have, I have family and friends and work and, and it's difficult at times to step back from it. But it accelerates a cycle. Mm-hmm. Not everyone experiences it that way, of course, but we all have physiological signals that clue us in to what we need. I'm just getting in touch with them more recently that tell me, stop, Stefan, stop. Mm-hmm. Notice yourself, give yourself the honor and the respect. That your Pay body's attention. crying out for. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The iPhone ruined everything right it's wonderful it's fun it's entertaining but Mm -hmm. it's an incredible distraction because we're connected all the time and i don't know that we're supposed to be or that it's helpful Mm. and so intentionally taking steps back from that putting that into your schedule Mm -hmm. that's important i don't think we do enough of it yeah this is hard yeah what are some of like the practices that you have adopted um, to like retreat, rest, renew, restore? What does that look like for yeah. you? I don't have any issue being inactive. Sure. I think that is sort of maybe slothful or retreative. Like I can retreat pretty easily. Um, I do have difficulty being present fully. 
And so in presence, when I'm paying full attention to what's going on, I think that involves um, my emotional world, which can be very loud. It's sort of turning that volume down and then turning the volume up of what's happening in my body Mm -hmm. and then what's happening in my mind and then what to do about it. When I'm making choices, I feel most connected to myself. Mm -hmm. I feel most peaceful. I feel most awake and present. I think that to me is is rest. Being in nature, being grounded, okay. using my body, yeah. like physical exercise. I've never really I've never really liked it. People like exercising. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, not really. Right. The joke was that I was a potato. That was my mom's joke for me. It was like, oh my little potato. <laughs> I just would sit there. <laughs> and so Thanks. I'm learning to be more than a Thanks. potato, right? Right. <laughs> and I have a garden, putting my hands in the soil, Mm -hmm. being on a bike, feeling like wind in my face. They're simple things. Very, like, physical, tactile. They are very tactile. Right. Yeah. Versus, I think, a challenge for some people and sometimes myself is the slowing down physically Mm -hmm. and saying, like, I am going to sit here and read a book. Or I am going to, like, take a walk. Or I'm going to, like, do something that's not super physical. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying I want, I need a push to engage with the world yeah. on a physical level and at the, I think and, at and the, helps bring your mental, like into clarity and into it brings peace. Into clarity. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the circle of the Enneagram as well. Um, fours and fives are at the bottom and then nines are at the top, but nines again are disconnected from their bodies. So to hmm. get into their bodies, mm-hmm. just like a four and a five, there's a triad ah. there. So nines, fours, and fives are the lowest energy of the whole circle. Ah, Eights eights and ones, sevens and twos are at the top of the circle. They have the highest energy of the Enneagram. Fascinating. And so you're sort of seeing connections there. Mm -hmm. I need to do something. Right. Do something. I think for fours and fives, we deliberate. And we get caught in our respective intelligence center. And you got to, like, make a decision and, like... Fives get caught in their thoughts and in anxiety. Mm-hmm. Fours get caught in their feelings and sadness. Mm-hmm. So get up. Move. And that's been an important instruction for me. Sure. What would, like, an ideal day off or day of, of rest... doesn't have to be, like, sedentary, but, like, could be anywhere in the world doing anything. Like, yeah. what, would it, what would it be... Like, you get up and you have one day to do whatever the heck you want to do. What would that dream day look like? Lots of room for contemplation. Lots of room for seeing beauty. Mm-hmm. I think that, that is an overall lens of my life is I'm very moved by, by beauty. Sure. And the meaning in that when it can becomes a connective and shared experience. Romance moves me very deeply. And so having moments throughout the day mm-hmm. where I feel like I'm romancing myself mm-hmm. or the world or God is romancing me. And so that's that's the beach. That's like the springs. It's being on the water, mm-hmm. on a boat. It's, it's being in, in nature primarily. Yeah. Um, but it's also sort of mining my inner depths and being able to communicate that outward. Sure. It's, it's poetry. It's art. It's, a, it's an art museum and spending the day on a lawn picnicking with people. Yeah. They're, again, very, they're not necessarily complex things, right? They're small experiences that accumulate mm. that give yeah. color to the mundanity of life. Yeah. Speaking of color to the mundanity of life, um, I think that Orlando is very lucky to have you um, as a human. And I'm definitely lucky to have you in my life and just... 
the people in this city that I wanted to have on this podcast are, are shaping the city in beautiful and, and important ways. And you do that in some maybe more, in a sense, behind closed doors. But the beauty that you get to bring through health of humans is incredibly important and incredibly beautiful. And um, just the what it took for you to get to this level and then the, the value of knowledge that you got to share today and just the value of knowledge that you get to impart to the people that are in your world and in your clients. And I think that I'm just really grateful for you and I'm really grateful for what you bring to Orlando. Um, is there any one piece of life wisdom that you could leave with us as we close? Don't stop growing. Yeah. Don't be afraid of the growth. I think the the natural inclination is to wonder what lies down inside of us. Hmm. Curiosity. And remain curious. Move through the fear, right? I think the fear is a natural response. Yeah. But don't let it be the last word. I think I've spent a lot of time um, in the shame or in the fear mm-hmm. or not knowing what to do and learning to exercise that muscle of pushing through it rather than avoiding it or moving around it or pretending it's not there. Right. Like the only way through is through. Ugh. So even if we're not often prompted to grow out of our good moments, I think it's often through affliction or difficulty that forces us to grow. It kind of forces our hand. That's intimidating. That's the hard. That is the hard part of life. But I think that's the invitation is like no one gets out of this unscathed. Yeah keep growing you notice the people who are adults that just haven't done the work yep they just haven't done the work our dear president hasn't done his work he comes across petulant and childlike yeah and it's not a good look for him or anyone i mean this week is world mental health awareness week yeah in that we, we get to destigmatize our common experience that we are not alone mm-hmm. we're connected in all of this and so to deal with one's personal issues, good and bad, right? How do we get to where we are? Yeah. That becomes a point of celebration in our common humanity. Yeah. And then we can have fun with each other rather than judge and distance ourselves and draw lines and get in our foxholes and murder each other. <laughs> That's the beautiful part if we can get there as community, right? Like yeah. when we get into those rhythms and when we have people that hold us accountable and call us on our bullshit and encourage us in our health to say, Hey, I see you. Like you've moved from here to here. You're not alone. And I appreciate you. And like, you're doing it or like, that's not cool. Like don't hide out in your room for three days. Like no one benefits from that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I think the, I think community is more messy than people want to acknowledge and stepping into that and true community. And there's ways where it gets too hard. And sometimes I opt out of that. Right. And, there's ways where it's beautiful to step into that and invite people into that to say, hey, let, let's be people together, community together, share our stories and just the beauty that can be had yeah. out of that. Keep learning from each other. Keep learning from each other. Very powerful. If the expectation is there's going to be pain in it, when the pain happens, I'm not as surprised. Right. I'm like, oh, of course it hurts. And I can and I can, I can survive. I, I can will, make it through I this. I can make it through this. This That's is not resilience. the end. Right. The storm will pass. This is this does not is not the period yeah. on my story. Where can people find you if they are looking for 
either mental health services or just you as a person or Stefan are Montessorine. Yeah. So right now I'm working um, with a practice of folks that I've known for Many. 20 plus years now. Yeah. We, went, we did our undergrad together. We've been dear friends and um, we're at Solace Counseling. Mm-hmm. That's located on Summerlin Avenue. So you can find us at solacecounseling.org. I'm also on the board for To Write Love on Our Arms. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful organization that works against the stigma surrounding mental health issues, anxiety, depression, yeah. suicidality, and self-harm. Yeah. And so bringing those issues to the light, again, allows us to connect meaningfully. Um, you can find some great information there, resources. They have a resource finding page that if you're looking for mental health services, mm-hmm. um, you just put in your zip code. And essentially, they'll show you uh, an expanse of providers in the area and and also a a find help tool that connects you with um, counselors, therapists, psychiatrists who are offering sliding scale if finances are a limitation. Sure. So get help. Get the help you need. Sure. You deserve it. Thank you for all the things and sharing this moment with me and a cocktail. And um, yeah. I love you as a friend and thank you for being a part of my world in Orlando. Yeah, I feel very honored to be here. Thank you, Dana. Same. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversations? 